so many of those things you mentioned, but he came to seek and save that which is lost. And that's good news for all of us, isn't it? Because we were lost. Well, at this time, I want to dismiss our children for children's worship. So if you want to head that way, Mr. Unger has the sign back there, Grace Kids today. And if the rest of you take your copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. Acts 15, beginning in verse 36. One more time, Acts 15, beginning in verse 36. If you would make your way in your copy of God's Word out there, I would greatly appreciate that. Well, um, last week you had the first team preacher. You get the second team preacher back today, all right? I'm so appreciative of Jared being here and um, preaching God's Word. I know doing a series on biblical community and um, he pointed out one of my favorite things uh, in the scripture how many y'alls there are and it's amazing when you begin to study that uh, how many of the y'alls there are and y'all I'm glad you're here because you can't do biblical community by with you singular it doesn't happen that way and I'm so glad you're here to be part of the biblical community and and my prayer is this this big this Lord's Day the first day of the week this is not the weekend remember this is not part of the weekend we make that clear Saturday is the weekend Sunday is the first day of the week and the Lord's Day right we don't forget that so but we're here and this is hopefully just a, a, to spur us on for the rest of the week to practice biblical community uh, with each other in our small groups and different things that we got going on to be, and also hopefully be a part of bringing other people into uh, God's wonderful community. Um, I, as many of you know, I was gone to South Carolina, left last Saturday morning and did a wild game dinner in South Carolina. It was funny, they thought crawfish was wild game. Um, but I guess in South Carolina it is. Although it's normal for us. And I did have frog legs for the first time there. They were actually good. This does taste like chicken. Just like the guys in Lion King said, and eating bugs tastes like chicken. All right, it did, but it was good. And and then I taught that that night at the men's wild game dinner, and then taught twice on Sunday, once on Monday, twice on Tuesday, once on Wednesday. So, so seven times in five days, and it was great to be with my friend and their congregation there in South Carolina. I had a great time, and God did some great things, and got a chance to speak to uh, their seminary. Uh, they have seminary chapel, they have a seminary extension campus all, that meets on their. Um, at their building, and Tuesday morning is seminary, so they had seminary students come and also had invited the rest of their body and actually taught on the Trinity. Um, as many of you all know, I did that a few years back here, and when I asked them how many had ever heard a sermon, on a standalone sermon on the Trinity, I got the same response as I got here. Not one person raised their hand. And so it was a great chance to just be able to share that with them and have some conversation with them after that, the importance of studying the Trinity because Trinity is not something that God has. Trinity is who God is. And we should never forget that. But it was a great time, but I am sure glad to be back and have some real wild game. And here in Texas, we and, uh, and be back with our my family and church family and be back in the book of Acts. So hopefully you are where I ask you to turn and we are continue our series here in the book of Acts. Um, Missio Dei, the mission of God, uh, God's mission for the church. And this morning we're going to be covering verses 36 of chapter 15 through verse 10 of chapter 16. And the title of the message this morning is, Now What? Knowing and Doing the Will of God. Now what? Knowing and doing the will of God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you so much for the privilege of being here uh, with people who love you, people you have called out to be a part of your family, to be a part of the church. 
be a part of the, your bride. And Lord, I, I thank you for the privilege of being to gather together and to worship uh, through prayer, through song, through the reading of your word, through the preaching of your word, through just being together. Uh, so Lord, I pray now that again you would do what only you can do, that you would open our hearts and our minds to not only understand your word, but allow your word to sink in deep into who we are, to pierce um, our hearts, even to dividing the soul and spirit, uh, Lord, that we might be changed and made more and more in the image of your Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a well-known story of a man that you've probably heard before. I think I mentioned it before. They want to discover the mind of God, want to discover his will in the Bible. Uh, so far, so good. He was going to go to God's word for his will. He simply shut his eyes, opened his Bible, and placed his finger on a verse of Scripture. Opening his eyes, he read from Matthew 27. Then he, then, he way, then he went away and hanged himself. This did not seem to help this man with his problem, so he closed his eyes again. The great method to discover the will of God, and did this again. And he opened his Bible to Luke 10 and found this statement by Jesus. Go and do likewise. And that wasn't quite enough, and that wasn't what he was looking for. So he did it again. Boom, and he opened up his Bible to John 2.5, where it reads, Do whatever it tells you. And this still did not be, seem clear enough for this man who was seeking the will of God. So one more time, he did the old finger in the air. Boom, opened up his Bible, John 13, and read this. What you do, do quickly. <laughs> Now, we laugh about that. I've got another one, too, that's about just as funny, that there was a young couple that came into their pastor one day and told him that God had told, them, told him that they should be married. So the pastor said, well, I'm interested in hearing how God told you that you all should be married. So he said, I was reading in Joshua, how Joshua marched around on the seventh day, uh, the walls of Jericho seven times on the seventh day, and the walls fell down. So the Lord told me to march around my girlfriend seven times, and her, her heart fell, fell, then I would, was supposed to marry her. So I marched around her seven times, and her heart fell, and I knew I was supposed to marry her. All right, we laugh at those things. They're ridiculous. It's, 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 it's just silly. We rightfully should laugh. And they are extreme cases, but it's not too far off how many well-intentioned let me say this, well-intentioned people try to know and do God's will. I mean, it's almost like whatever goes, and we're going to go for whatever we feel, whatever the Bible says, right? I even think about when you were reading, this came to my mind because I knew I was going to be doing this, Dave, that the Lord has need of it. So when you break into someone's Porsche and try to steal it, do not use the line, the Lord has need of it, okay? Don't try to do that. That's taking the word of God out of context. But often, we, we do these things, and people do these things trying to discover God's will. And seeking to know God's will in the wrong way can lead to disillusionment, discouragement, disappointment, danger, in some cases, even disaster. You've also all heard people that only, use, only try to discover God's will by going through open doors, right? And I always remind them that sometimes open doors can lead to elevator shafts. So sometimes if it's just about an open door, be careful. That may not be God's will. It may lead to danger. Uh, those who are followers of Jesus should want to know and do the will of God. That's a good thing. To want to know God's will and want to do God's will. Uh, let me ask this question. What is the primary motivation for knowing and doing the will of God? Think about that. What's our primary motivation for wanting to know 
and then therefore do the will of God. I think 1 Corinthians 10.31 answers this well. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This should be our desire. We want, we want to make sure we're in the will of God. So whatever we're doing and eating and drinking, whatever we do, we want, to, we want to glorify God. That's about doing His will. We want to know that. That's a good thing. Thankfully, this morning's passage of Scripture in Acts will give us some instruction on knowing and doing the will of God. i just be honest with you. As I read through this passage, and if you just read through this passage, just kind of following along verse 36 down through verse 10, you say, they went here, there's a little disagreement. They went here, and they went here, and they went here, and they went here, and wa-la-la-la-la-la-la. What in the world does this have to do with anything? But as you begin to look at this, it's an interesting, it's an interesting passage of Scripture how that God is directing them the whole time. And there's some things that we can learn from this passage about God's will and about doing His will and about God's direction in our life. So just a little disclaimer here this morning. This passage does not deal with every aspect of knowing and doing the will of God. So if you think you can get all the answers this morning, you're wrong. I'm not promising that. There's just some good principles that we'll be able to glean from this. Um, but if you'd like to study this subject further, knowing God's will and therefore doing God's will, uh, I can point you to some other resources. I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, I did a series uh, on, a, on a Wednesday night. Um, this has been years ago. I'm not sure. I remember. It's been a while, Greg. I know you were in there too, but um, a four-week series on, on doing the will of God and discover a lot as I study. I've discovered a lot more since then in, in this subject and would encourage you to, to dig in. If you want to know more about it, just let me know and I'll point you in the right direction. Well, let's turn our attention here to 2 Acts 15 and just remind you, we're walking down through here, here and we're going to kind of look at what's, observe what's happening. I'm going to explain some things and then we'll come back and look at some ways that can help us incorporate these truths in our lives. So let's look at our context as always. We want to make sure we stay in context and we don't take things out of context like the Lord needs it, right? So I'm going to use it for whatever. Or we're going to take con things out of context like the guy uh, praying, uh, his, his trying to discover to God's will by pointing to different passages of Scripture. But So before Jesus ascended to heaven, the beginning of Acts 1, uh, we have uh, this statement, Acts 1-8. This was what he charged um, them to do. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even in the remotest part of the earth. This is the outline of the book of Acts. I keep reminding of you of this because I want you never to forget this. So when you study the book of Acts, you're doing it in context and understanding what the book of Acts is all about. So um, we're now at the part in the book of Acts where they're going to the remotest part of the earth. That they're going beyond Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Now they're going out into the world with the gospel. And at the end of Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas return from their first missionary journey. They're fired up. God is doing a work in the remotest parts of the world. He's doing a work in the hearts of Gentiles. So they come back. They share that with the people in Antioch where they left from. And they're fired up. Well, it doesn't take too long. We get the beginning of chapter 15. And some false teachers begin to creep in. And they begin to say, well, if you want to be saved from the wrath to come, if you want to be a Christian, you first, if you're a Gentile, you must be, be, be circumcised and become a Jew, and then you become a Gentile. Well, that was false, and Paul and Barnabas knew it, and it says they contended strongly with these people. And then the, people, the, the, the believers in Antioch said, hey, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's consult the elders and apostles what we're supposed to do with this matter. So they go and they have what they call the Jerusalem Council of, of um, chapter 15 of Acts. And make a long story short, they come out of that. And of course, they just reaffirm what it's always been. People are made right with God by grace apart from works. 
And let me make this, this be clear again. That's the whole thing in the whole Bible. People have always been made right with God by grace apart from works even in the Old Testament. And if you've ever been taught differently, you've been taught wrong. And I say that with all love and all seriousness, the Bible nowhere teaches anybody's ever made right with God by keeping the law, because you can't keep it, and that's clear in Scripture, and it's, made, it's the purpose is so we, so we can't keep it, and we need a Savior. It's always been that way. So just a reminder of that. And they come back, and that's kind of, not, not, not that they decided that, they just concluded that's still the same. It hasn't changed. Go back and tell them it hasn't changed. So they go back to Antioch. They tell them it hasn't changed. We're saved by grace apart from works, and they all rejoice. Hey, that's what we always, always knew. This is great. And you see um, in, at the end of chapter 15, uh, verse, actually verse 35, that's where we're up to now. In verse 35, it says this. Look there in your, your, your Bibles. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. They went right back to fulfilling the mission of the church, which is to make disciples. And when you read Acts, you see that the mission given by Jesus in the beginning, by the Holy Spirit, is the continual focus of the whole book. It, 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 it's, they, never, they don't get sidetracked. It's like a steam engine. Good, we don't even use this word, this phrase anymore, but I like it. You get a good head of steam, that's where it comes from. You get a good head of steam, you're kind of moving. Now the steam engine's going, and it's going boom, boom. If you've ever seen a steam engine, they, once it gets going, it's, it's on the move. And this, the Acts is the church on the move to fulfill God's mission for the church, making disciples. And if you're not ready, you can get run over by it. Because they are on the move and nothing's stopping them from fulfilling what God called them to do. And that's the picture you have. They just go right back to doing what they've been called to do. Now many times in life we're, we're about the mission of God as church and we, we see fruit in a particular area. And, and in a particular ministry in a sense it's accomplished. And we ask the question, now what? Okay, this, uh, we did this and this is what happened. It was accomplished. We had these plans and these goals and these plans and these goals. They came to fruition. Now What? Well, that question doesn't ever seem to be asked in the book of Acts. Nobody goes, okay, what are we supposed to do now? We'll just sit here. Nobody's ever sitting around. They're moving because they know the answer to the question. The general answer to the now what is fulfill the mission of the church, which is to be witness, his witnesses in the world and make disciples. That's the now what. And we can always be about doing that. Now there are things that we see here, that the specifics of the where and the particular people that they're supposed to be doing this with. But the what is never, ever asked. Jesus made it clear in the beginning. And they understand that and they keep moving. So if you've, been, you've seen fruit in an area of ministry, or maybe a certain goal has been accomplished, know that the answer to now what is this. Keep being his witnesses. Keep making disciples. If you're ever wondering what you're supposed to be doing, do that wherever you are. This is what we see from Paul and Barnabas here in this passage. Look now at verse 36 with me. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul and Barnabas knew that God wanted them to follow up with these new believers and check it and see how they are and, and disciple them some more and, and help them grow in the faith. And how important is that? I can't tell you how many people I hear, they'll come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They will trust him as their Savior and Lord. And then they're kind of left hanging. And no one comes alongside of them, puts their arm around them, and tries to, to, to help them along. And there's that, I know some of you are all testimony in here. You walked a long time as, a, as an infant in Christ. 
I just want to encourage us here at Grace Bible Church, when we see somebody come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, come alongside them. Now, sometimes you may come alongside them after a while, and they may be like, you know, we're good, we don't have to meet anymore, and you can only do so much, but at least try, right? Let's never, never be negligent in doing that. That's so important, and that's what they do. Um, now look at verse 37 down through verse 41. Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with them. So he wants to take him on this trip. They're going to go back and visit all these cities. And Barnabas says, let's take John Mark call, uh, along with us. In verse 38, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Here we see a disagreement break out between two good friends and partners in the ministry, Paul and Barnabas. Um, and it was over whether or not to take John Mark with them on this next missionary journey, this second missionary journey, to go back and visit all these churches where they had been before. Whatever the reason, Barnabas wants to take his cousin with him on their second missionary journey. And Paul doesn't because he had deserted them. We saw that happen when we were going to that part of Acts. We don't again know exactly why he deserted them, but whatever it is, Paul didn't think it was a good reason. And he doesn't want to risk the possibility of taking him on another missionary journey where it's so important to make sure that they're doing what God's called them and him deserve again. Now notice the words you described, uh, to describe their disagreement here in verse 39. It says, sharp disagreement or contention was sharp. It carries the idea of a heated exchange with anger. This is not just, uh, we have a little disagreement, okay, we'll just talk it out calmly and lovingly and exhort each other, encourage each other, we'll move on. No, they're angry with each other. They're going at it. As strong as they went out to false teachers back that came to, to, uh, to, to Antioch, that's how strongly they're going at it. Some people try to soften this down. They just had a little disagreement, no big deal. No, they had a huge disagreement. And there was anger in their disagreement. It caused them to split up and, and form two teams. Paul took Silas. And we saw that, that Barnabas took his cousin John Mark. The question as to who was right and who was wrong is not absolutely clear. Although some people point to the end of verse 40 saying uh, Paul was in the right here. And you can maybe make a case of that. Because it says in verse 40, look, it says, But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. doesn't say that about the other two. It could be captured that all four of them were being committed, but generally it looks like it was probably Paul. But we can't be dogmatic about that. The, the, the wording here, though, used in, in this scripture, there's, there's, there's a, this anger and disagreement. Here's the reality. Paul and Barnabas sinned against each other. You guys hear that? The apostle Paul and Barnabas, the son of encouragement sinned against each other. They had a heated exchange with anger over whether to take John Mark. There's sin going on here. But let me say this. God was not intimidated by their sin. He didn't throw his hands up. Oh my goodness. The mission's done. These two guys, pillars in the church, have a heated, ugly disagreement. They sinned against each other. We're done. Well, even though Paul and Barnabas had failed, God had not. 
and neither would his mission for the church, even though they had failed here. He, he used their separation for his good in the spread of the gospel. It seems clear that it was the will of God that they separate and form two teams. But it wasn't the will of God that the separation occur like it did. And that's what's important to see here. God was not caught off guard. I believe that God wanted there to be two teams. He wanted the mission to be able to spread even further and faster. But he didn't want it to happen like this. That was not in God's will. Sin is never in God's will. But God's not intimidated by our sin. And his will will still be accomplished even with our sin. And that's important. That's what we see with these two. So I want us to see here, just to sum this up, that God is not intimidated by our sin and that he can use conflict and failure to communicate and accomplish his will and give direction. Look with me briefly at this map here. Well, that was beef. Did it come up? Okay, I can't see it. I forget. I can't see it back there. All right, here we go. So, Paul and Barnabas, I mean, Bar Barnabas and John Mark, okay, they're, here they are. They're in Antioch. This is where the disagreement um, takes place. Barnabas and John Mark go to Cyprus. Now, that's where they were both from. Okay, that's their hometown. And then Paul and Silas come around this way and go through Cilicia here, come up this way. All right, so over here, we'll see on your all side, we start in Antioch. Okay, here's where John Mark and um, Barnabas go, and then Paul and Silas come right this way. So we have, they split, one goes north, one goes south. That's what happens. All right, they're two teams. All right, and, and it's important uh, to know that even though, let me say this one more time, even though they had sinned, I believe it was God's will, and I think you see that worked out in Acts, that they do split up. There becomes two teams, but he didn't want them to sin against each other. And just so we don't leave, um, whoa, that was, I've never done that. More power in the button, I thought. It'll come back up here in a second. All right, but um, I don't want to leave us hanging here on what happened to their relationship. Uh, later, we see the following. Listen to this. Paul speaks of Barnabas and his ministry, commending his ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And then Paul also commends John Mark in Philemon 24 and in 2 Timothy 4.11. He says John Mark's doing a great work. That's what he says about these guys. So, and obviously God had matured John Mark and maybe on this journey with Barnabas and they, so much so that he wrote the book of Mark. So God continued to use them. It seems like there was reconciliation that happened between Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. Um, Paul was just practicing what he preached. Or we can, there we go. In Romans, okay. He's doing some funny things here. He must have eaten wild game last night. I don't know. All right. In Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I believe that Paul, or one of the other guys involved, they sought reconciliation with each other. And obviously at the end of their life, they were, we know from the other letters, that they were at peace with each other. They were working on the same team, they knew it, and they were cheering each other on. And I just want to encourage you, is there someone in your life right now where reconciliation needs to take place between you and that person? Then I want to encourage you to obey God, just like they did. And as much as it depends on you, I understand sometimes you can only do so much, but as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Pursue that reconciliation because it makes the gospel even more beautiful when that, ha when that takes place. Well, now look with me back at uh, chapter 16, verse 1. 
I will read down through uh, verse 3. Paul came also to Derbe and at Lystra, and a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra, who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. I'm going to bring back up my map again. Okay? And uh, so you see they're coming up this way, and they're going to come through. They go through Paul's hometown, Tarsus, the Derby, and then they come to Lystra. All right? Now they had visited, they come the other way last time, so here we go up through Tarsus, Derby, and Lystra. So they're right there. They come to this city of Lystra. Um, and this, they had visited there, obviously, in the first mission journey. While, while, while there in Lystra, he enlists the services of this young man named Timothy. Okay, that's where we get Timothy comes on the scene, um, who had come to faith in Jesus Christ when Paul was there the very first time. Now, let me remind you, on Paul's first visit to Lystra, Paul was preaching, and some people came from Iconium, and where they weren't too happy with what was going on, so they beat him up, to what they thought was the point of death. They stoned him and drag him out of town and leave him for dead. And guess what Paul did? He got right back up and marched right back in that city. And don't, don't think for a second that Timothy didn't know about it. That Timothy didn't witness this man who had gotten beat up for the gospel get back up and come right back in the city. I think it's had the same impact on Timothy that Stephen Stoning had on Paul who was Saul earlier in Acts. And God used that stoning of this man dying in peace because he loved Jesus Christ to impact Paul's life in the same way he used the stoning of Paul and almost death of Paul to impact Timothy's life. We also know that later on in his epistles written to Timothy, Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy, he calls him his true child in the faith and his son in the faith. That Timothy was converted in a sense under Paul's ministry on that first trip to Lystra. And so he's obviously grown in the faith and we see that in the, in the phrase in verse 2 he says and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium his life was evidence that the life of Jesus was in him he was above reproach as Paul's letter will later say of all those who desire to be elders need to be above reproach then you have a life of integrity not perfection the life of integrity and that's how Timothy's life was so Paul says I'm going to take this guy with me he, he's of use I can tell that so Paul adds him to the team. Let me just, just a principle here to look at. God's will was made clear to Paul by the fact that Timothy was qualified for this mission. He looked at Timothy. He saw the qualities in Timothy. He heard what everybody else around him was saying about Timothy. And he used that, God used that to show him, this is my will. Take Timothy with you. This guy's qualified. He's called. Verse 3 that says that, that then, then that Paul had um, Timothy circumcised. Now some people would say this is a compromise on Paul's part involving the principle discussed at Jerusalem concerning salvation by grace apart from works. And others at least will say it's inconsistent with him, not, uh, with him because he didn't allow Titus, we read about in the book of Galatians, to get circumcised. So which is it, Paul? Should they get circumcised or shouldn't they get circumcised? You're compromising or you're inconsistent. Ah, but if you look deeper, he's neither. All right, let's think about this for a second. Titus was a Gentile, and having him circumcised would have given in to the false teaching of that people have to be circumcised to be saved. He was a Gentile, not a Jew. 
And, and then this is different with Timothy who was considered a Jew because his mother was a Jew. Yes, his father was a Gentile, but his mother was a Jew. And they always took the mother as to what their uh, heritage was because you never knew who the father might be. Now, you hate to say that, but that's true. If you know his offspring this way, you know she's a Jew. It doesn't matter what his dad is. She's a Jew, therefore he's a Jew. And that's how the Jews would have looked at it. This guy is a Jew. If he was an uncircumcised Jew, it would have hindered their ability to enter the synagogues he would visit with Paul and Silas on their journey. So he's an uncircumcised Jew. He would not have been able to enter into the synagogues. And that would hinder their ministry to the Jews. So why make a big deal about it? Now, it's probably a big deal to Timothy, all right? But they decided not to make a big deal about it. And he circumcised, and it didn't hinder their mission. Uh, one commentator says this about this. Paul's circumcision of Timothy had nothing to do with salvation. He did it for expediency's sake, to avoid placing an unnecessary stumbling block in the way of a Jewish evangelism. Think about that. Uh, Paul was living out the principle that he would later take, teach in 1 Corinthians 9.22. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that I might by all means save some. He wasn't going to let these things, these cultural things, get in the way. He wasn't saying you had to do these things to be made right with God. He said, you know what? This is not a big deal. We talked about last time, right? We defer so that it helps with the cause of evangelism. Also, it helps with encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here we see that God's will was made clear through taking time to understand the culture and make the best decision for the sake of the spread of the gospel. Did you all hear that? God's will was made clear through taking time to understand the culture and make the best decision for the sake of the gospel. How would the gospel be spread greater? And that's what Paul did. He thought through this and said, well, we need to have Timothy circumcised. Because it's not an issue of salvation, but it is an issue of getting the gospel out to more people. Well, this led to fruitful ministry. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. So sure enough, they moved on. They kept encouraging the believers and people that were coming to faith in Christ and people were growing in the relationship with Christ. So now what? Fruitful ministry, right? Things are going good. Now what? Don't ask that question. We know what, right? They just kept on moving. They just kept on moving, kept on doing what God had called them to do. Look at verse 6 and through verse 7 with me now. They passed through... Um, uh, the Phrygian and Galatian regions, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Myasia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. They kept pursuing the mission of God. This is God's standing will for the church that will never change. That will never change. That we pursue the mission of God. That we are his witnesses in making disciples. It will never change. Now, notice something. There's no fire from heaven just them taking initiative to do what they already knew. Often we look around for God's will and we're not doing what we already know His will is to be. We know His will to be. Just do what we know we're supposed to be doing. We can get paralyzed. Okay, that's God's will for me here. And the whole time He's saying, hey, just move with what I've already given you. 
I'll just go ahead and say this. I'll talk about this later. A lot of people, they want, they want a sign. They want a dream. They want a vision. They want somebody to stand up and give them some prophets about what they're supposed to do. Outside of the word of God. Well, the only problem is, we don't need any of that stuff. We're having a hard time doing what we already know is to be true. They just worry about this right here instead of this over here. And whoa, this over here. And oh God, oh wow, did you see that? God doesn't want you to worry about that. People are looking for signs and visions and they're not going to be any signs and visions because God's already given us everything we need for life and God. And it's right here. Why do we need that? Why? And this, so it's funny, we talked about the sufficiency of the word of God when Abraham's bosom and the rich man was saying, hey, if you send him back to my brothers and sisters and my family, they're going to come to, they're going to they're repent. And Paul said, and, 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 and Jesus says, says, you know what? If they don't believe Moses and the prophets... They won't even believe if somebody rises from the dead. If people don't want to obey the word of God right here, they're not going to obey if God gives them a vision or a dream or some crazy sign. First things first, right? Let's worry about what's right here. Excuse me for getting a little excited about that. But we get paralyzed when we know what God's will is. And that's what they did. They just kept on moving. Now, now notice the phrase there in verse 6. Well, for, first of all, let me bring this map back up for you. So here, they, they've come over here. They come into uh, Pigeria region, all right? And they want to go to Asia. See, Asia is not what we're thinking about. Asia is down south. They also want to go to Bithynia, and God keeps them from doing that. All right, over here, they're, they're heading up this way. They want to go to Asia. They want to go to Bithynia. And God prevents them from going to those places. And you see that in verse 6. Having forbidden them by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And you're thinking, why didn't he want to get the word to Asia? What's wrong with down there? Well, it wasn't God's timing. And, and, and we don't know exactly how they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say. To, so to try to, to say he did this and this is how they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit would be wrong because we have no idea. It just says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Alright, and then verse 7 says they turned to go to Bithynia, which is in the north, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. We're not again sure exactly what happened where the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to go there. We don't know. So we just keep moving on. Somehow the Lord kept moving them west. That's what I want you to see. He kept moving them west. The Lord kept directing them that way. Look at verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And in verse 10, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God made it clear why he keeps directing Paul west, all right? Because there's some people over here in Macedonia, all this here, all right? Macedonia. There's some people over there. He wants to hear the gospel. So he, he, he doesn't tell him why he's not going to go to Bethany or why he kept him from there. He just kept him going there, but he starts pointing him west. And then God gives a vision here, all right? This man over Macedonia said, hey, come over here. Come over here. And that's God speaking to him. He wants him to take the gospel there. So we, hear, see here, we see here this principle. God's will is made clear through a revelation from God. And you're saying, hold on, you just said don't look for revelation from God, any vision or dream, and you're making a contradiction. Well, let me just briefly remind us that here's something very important about the book of Acts. If you didn't write this down the first ten times I said it, go ahead and write it down the eleventh time, okay? The book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. Say it again, the book of Acts is 
descriptive, not prescriptive. It describes what happened, but it's not necessarily a prescription of what we're supposed to do too, or what we're supposed to look for. That's what the epistles are for, the letters that explain the theology in Acts. That's so important that we don't just look at the book of Acts and say, we're supposed to do the exact same thing they did. No. We're supposed to observe and see God's work of fulfilling the mission of the church, but the prescription comes in the epistles. We're never told, listen, we're never told from the scripture to seek God's will or look for direction from visions, dreams, prophecies, or supernatural signs. There's never a command to a believer, ever. Ever. There's never a command to a believer in the epistles to seek direction from visions, dreams, prophecies, and supernatural signs. God's will, though, is still made, th made clear through a revelation from God. Did you guys hear that? But God still makes his, his will for us clear through a revelation from God. Hold on. You just said we're not supposed to take visions and dreams and prophecies and supernatural signs. It's never in the word commanded to a believer to do that. Why? It's because the revelation that we're given is his word. That is the revelation from God that we have. It's as big a revelation as if he did perform some supernatural miracle or there's a vision or a dream. It's in fact bigger than that. He gave us his word, which is clear. God reveals his will through his son as revealed in his word. I love the fact that Jared read this passage to begin our time together this morning. And we didn't plan this. All right? In Hebrews uh, 1... 1 and 2, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in the Son. So he's saying, the writer of Hebrews is saying that long ago he spoke to the fathers and prophets in many portions and in many ways. He spoke to them in dreams. He spoke to them in visions. He spoke to them audibly. He spoke to them through supernatural signs. There's no doubt that happened all the way through the scripture. But he says in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And how has he spoken to us? Through his Son. Well, the Gospel of John, when he's meeting with his disciples, and he's promising to send the Holy Spirit, he promises that he will lead them, the eleven sitting in the room, into all truth. And where do we have that all truth given to us? Right here. In the New Testament and the Old Testament as they interpret the Old Testament in the right way. That's where we have the all truth he led them into. We also see in 2 Peter 1.3 says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, you, you guys know what the word everything means there in the Greek, right? It means what? Everything. Everything. What does that, what does that not include? It, yeah, it includes Everything. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Where? Through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Where do we find the true knowledge of Jesus Christ? We know for sure it's true. In his word. We know for sure in his word that we find what is true about Jesus. Somebody may say this about Jesus. How do we know that's true? The only way we know it's true is we go back to the source of truth. They may be sincere, but if it doesn't line up with the scripture, they're wrong. We have to have a source of truth. And the source of truth about his son is here, and he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need for life and godliness. 
through the true knowledge of him in his word. See this later in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for how many good works? Every good work. Through his word. That is his revelation. Does God still speak in revelation today? Yeah, he revealed himself through his word. God's word helps us know God's will and evaluate everything that comes into our lives. That's so important. Now, does God use circumstances? Does he use different people coming into our lives? Does he use all these people to work in our lives? Yes, but he wants us to live a life that we evaluate every single thing that comes in our life based upon his word to know his will. Not, oh, that looks pretty good. That, oh, I feel that that might be the thing. Now, you know where feeling, feelings will get us, right? In trouble. Because sometimes you may feel really bad. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I just got a feeling that's not the place to go. And that may be exactly where God wants you to go. Or remember one day you may say, I feel really good about going there. And you may just step right off in one of those open doors that leads to an elevator shaft. That cannot be the way that we make decisions. And yet, so, so many people make decisions that way. We need to go back to his word. Say, what does God's word have to say about this? What are the, pre the principles? What are the precepts? We know what are the direct commands and the, the eternal principles in the word of God. We know this would be the, word, the will of God. Now notice that, that, that what they did when they knew this was God's will. Look there in verse 10 again. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. They knew what it was supposed to do. And what did they do? They obeyed. They obeyed. And when we see God's word clear, his will is clear to us, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to obey his word, which is his will for us. It's not that complicated. I think some people think God is trying to hide his will from us. Oh, they're getting close. I'm going to move it over here. Oh, they almost got it over here. I'm going to try to hide it over here. Oh, not, no, I'm going to hide it over here. How cruel would that be? God is not. He's not trying to make it complicated, and yet we would try to make it either too complicated or we get real weird about it. And where God has made it really clear in His Word and seeking Him by the power of the Holy Spirit through His Word to understand His will and evaluate everything that comes in our path. Please do not hear me saying that God doesn't use circumstances and people to maybe sometimes shake us and to wake us up and help us evaluate it. But we need to evaluate all by the Word of God. Well, so what? Well, from our passage this morning, we've seen that God's general will for his people is to glorify him and be his witnesses in making disciples. We, we know that's his will. We're supposed to be about that. Well, now what? Keep doing that. Just keep doing that. It's not that difficult if we're focused on that. We've also seen four things specifically in, the, in this passage of Scripture that are principles about the will of God. God's will is communicated through conflict and failure. God's word is communicated, or God's will is communicated through conflict and failure. We saw that with Paul and Barnabas. Secondly, God's will is communicated through biblical standards. He saw something in Timothy where he met biblical standards of leadership. So, well, yeah, I'm going to take that guy. He's qualified. And everybody says he's qualified. Thirdly, God's will is made clear through taking time to understand the culture and make the best decision for the sake of the spread of the gospel. We have to, we have to evaluate things. We don't want to be prejudiced, right? Which means to prejudge. Prejudice is a great time saver. Allows us to come to a conclusion without getting all the facts. Don't come to a conclusion until you get the facts and understand. And when you do, then you can make 
a good decision that will help the spread of the gospel. Fourth, God's will is made clear through a revelation from God. God's will is made clear through a revelation from God in his word. We're guaranteed to know his will. Right there in his word. He's revealed it to us. And remember, every time that we read the word of God, we are hearing from God just as much as Abraham heard from God. Or Moses heard from God. Or John heard from God. We, we, we can't ever forget that. We need to be, oh, whoa. God is speaking to me through his word. Well, obviously you need to understand it in context. Now, you may be thinking, this is, still, this is about as confusing as anything I've ever heard. I don't want to make it confusing because I don't think God's trying to heal, trying to hide things from us. I don't think he wants to make it complicated. I think sometimes we make it too complicated. And we get frozen. We get stuck. And then we're useless. We're not about the mission of the church. We're not about making disciples. We get stuck. There's a helpful little booklet I would encourage. There's a lot of books that I would encourage you to go to to maybe study this further. One, one is called Decision Decisions by Dave Swavely. It's a little bit bigger book. Um, there's a book called Decision Making in the Will of God by a guy named Gary Friesen. That's, that, that's the big one, all right? And if you want to go get the big one, you can get that one. And there's a little booklet by John MacArthur. He wrote back in the 70s. And I think it's one of the best resources I've ever seen on the will of God. And I just want to share that with you. I just want to be very, very helpful with you because I know people are going, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? All right? Number one, it's God's will that you be saved. All right? It's God's will. It says it's God's will we be saved. Saved. Okay, I'm using the word saved. I want to make sure everybody understands. Saved from what? Saved from God's just punishment, his just wrath on our sin because we've sinned. We're rescued from that. It's God's will that we be saved. All right? Second, it's God's will that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians 5 that it is the will of God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's God's will. We, we know that. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? We've talked about this. It's a continual present tense, all right, command to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? All right? Jared shared this passage. I've shared this passage. It's, it, Colossians is a, is a parallel passage. It says there to let the Word of God dwell in you richly is one of the ways and the main way that He fills us with His Spirit. Because it's, not, it's, it's also the, 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 the spirit that was in it giving us the word. And Jared also pointed out, as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which is based on the word of God, to each other, that the word is filling us. And then what happens is we become controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It says we're commanded to God. It is God's will to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, it's God's will that you are being sanctified. It's God's will that you are being sanctified. There's an, there's an aspect that we've already been sanctified. Past tense, a perfect tense, past, act, past action, completed action, and that goes on forever. We've been set apart. We've been made holy in Christ. But there's another aspect of sanctification. that We are being made holy. Our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts are being made holy. And, and, it, and it teaches in God's word. It is it's his will. He uses the word, this is God's will, that you be sanctified. You keep being sanctified. Keep growing in holiness. Keep obeying him. Fourthly, it's God's will that you be submissive. Woo, we don't like that one. Can we take that one? Let's X that one off. And this particular one in, in, second, in 1 Timothy where it says, and this is God's will, he's talking about being uh, submissive to employers. All right? And ultimately, the principles all through the scripture, we be submissive to those God has put in authority over us as long as they don't ask us to sin. God wants us to be submissive to those he's placed in authority over us. And number five, it is God's will that you suffer. That's the number we want to take off, right? 
And it's mentioned in Scripture there in 1 Peter that it is the will of God we suffer. And in, in, in 2 Timothy 3.12 it, sa it says, Indeed, all who li desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. So as we desire to stand up for the gospel, to make decisions that honor the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be persecution, there will be suffering that comes. And God uses all these things in our life to make us more like Jesus. And it's his will for us to do those things. It's his will to be saved, that we be saved, that we be filled with the Spirit, that we're sanctified, they're being sanctified, that we be submissive, and that we suffer. Now, if all these things, not perfectly, but are generally true of you, and these are things you're pursuing, and God is working your life to do these things, guess what the next step is? Guess what the next step is? Do what you want. Can you believe I just said that? Right here at Grace Bible Church, you heard it. Do what you want. If all those other things are true of you, guess where you're going to be? Right in the will of God. He's directing you. You're allowing him to control your life. You're being filled with the Spirit. You've been saved. You're being sanctified. You're being submissive. You are suffering for the sake of the gospel. Do what you want. Woo! That may be weirder than anything else I said, huh? For some of you. Why would I say that? Because what you want is what God's placed in your heart. And now it's his wants become your wants. And we learn that also in, in, in Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Doing those things means we're delighting ourselves in the Lord. We're pursuing him. His, we, we're given the mind of Christ. We're looking what God wants out of this. God, make me more like Jesus. And we keep pursuing that and pursuing that and pursuing that. And all of a sudden he renews our mind. Do what you want. Because your want has been changed. Please don't ever hear me saying sin. Because that's not what God wants ever. And we know that. So nobody should think that and go, do what you want. I want to do what I want. Well, obviously, if you're going to want to sin, you're not doing the other things. You're not being, you're not delighting yourself in the Lord. So delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. But see, none of this can happen. If you want to be in the will of God, you've got to start first things first. You need to be saved. You need to be made right with God. You need to be rescued from the penalty of your sin which separates you from God and promises you an eternity in a place called hell. You need to be rescued from that. And he promised that he would send someone to take care of the sin problem all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And he sent his son Jesus who died in our place to take on the penalty that we deserved so we may be made right in him. And he tells us that we turn from our self-trust, turn from the deceitfulness of what sin promises and turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to make us right with him, he'll do that. He'll give us the Holy Spirit. And we begin to pursue him and then we'll be in the will of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that you're not trying to make your will unclear, but you're trying to make it clear so that we can be about your mission, making disciples, being your witnesses in this world. Lord, I pray that we would follow hard after you. We would seek you with all of our heart. And as we do that, Lord, we would trust you to guide our paths. Lord, as you say in your word, that we trust in you with all of our heart and lean not on our understandings, but in all our ways acknowledge you. You will direct our paths. Lord, help us trust that in every decision we make as we pursue you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.